Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump right in. So hopefully you got a, a handout. If you didn't, there's some handouts in the foyer. And so if you want to grab a handout and a clipboard, there's some out in the foyer. But we're going to dive right in and we're going to begin this discussion. Now, this is week three of Reset. And this is really what Reset is. Let's, let's pump the brakes. Let's pause for a moment. Let's be reminded about why we're, we're spending some time. We've got, uh, I believe, four more uh, messages in this series. But, like, why are we having this conversation? Well, it's, a com- it's an important conversation to have. But specifically, it's about how to recognize and avoid the dangers of becoming an accidental Pharisee. Now, we have in our mind what Pharisees are and what they look like. And we read through the pages of Scripture and we we give them a hard time. And Jesus gave the Pharisees a hard time. But if we're honest, we got to realize and recognize that, hey, there are some dangers for us. The longer we walk as Christians, the more dangerous it is that we have these, we begin to think and act like Pharisees in some ways. But no one, here's the thing, no one sets out to become a Pharisee. I mean, I don't know, maybe there are some people who set out, they just enjoy, they enjoy that. But I think most people, if we're talking about the context, I'm thinking about, okay, who am I speaking to? I would, I would really be surprised if there's anybody in the room that's, that's set out to be a Pharisee, that it's not something that you know, we, we would do on purpose. We see the Pharisees as, right, when we open the Scriptures, we see the Pharisees as the bad guys. It's, it's somebody else. It's not when we look in the, in the mirror. Because rarely when we look in the mirror would we ever say that we see Pharisee. I, I think of all the spiritual conversations that I've had over, uh, over the years, you know, just the years of ministry. And I, I thought back this, way, this week as I was preparing I've never, I've had a lot of conversations about a lot of things in a lot of people's lives. I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know what? I'm a Pharisee. But here's the thing. There's a Pharisee standing in the pulpit, okay? There's a Pharisee in all of us. Like nobody's ever, and I would ask you, have you ever had a conversation with anybody else? You're talking to somebody and they're like, you know what? I'm just a Pharisee. No, we, we, we don't hear those things. We don't, we don't say those things. It's, it's somebody else. It's, uh, so I started thinking about some of the most radical Pharisees that I've, that I've seen in person. Um, maybe, you've seen, uh, maybe you've seen the street preachers. I don't know if you've ever been to a big city. Maybe you've been over to New Orleans or maybe you've been to another city. And, um, you know, the, the turn or burn, you know, you're all going to hell. Uh, you got a got a megaphone and just condemning everybody that walks by. I can remember uh, I was at a conference. I'd taken a group of students to a conference. It was actually a Christian conference, surprisingly. And uh, we were, it was in Atlanta, Georgia. And so we had come out for, we were, you know, I can't remember if we were going into a session or we were coming out of session. We were outside um, the, the facility where we were meeting. And there were some guys that had been there. They'd been there the whole time we were there. But they're standing, and they are just, man, they are hammering everybody that goes by. And, and like I said, this is a Christian conference. And, uh, you know, they're, they're telling, as I'm walking past one of the guys, he, he looks at me and he tells me that I'm going to hell. And I did what you did. Some of y'all are kind of laughing. I'm like, okay, well, that's funny. You don't know me. And, yet, and he says, you can laugh all you want to. 
while you're burning in hell. And I'm like, bro, you don't even know me. Like, how is it that you can, but because I'm not in your camp, because I'm not doing that, because I'm not passionately standing on the corner yelling that all of you are going to hell, because I'm not doing those things, you automatically assume that I'm going to, that I'm going to hell. And so in my mind, you know, I think, okay, well, that's kind of the picture, you know, that's kind of the picture that we, we get or the kind of what I think about. It's like, okay, well, you, you know, condemning because you're not doing what I'm doing. You're not as passionate as I am. And I'm like, man, you don't even, like, you didn't even ask me my name. And you've already determined my eternity because I unbelievingly laughed at your nonsense as I walked by. And, I, and there's sometimes where I just laugh and keep on walking. There's sometimes where I just can't take it. You ask some of the students over the years, I'm like, I got to turn around and say something. I can't take it. I can't take it. And I'm not a confrontational person. I don't even like conflict. But there's just some things like it just drives me insane. So, so they're the Pharisees. They're, you know, they're, the, they're the ones who are the, but not, not when we look in the mirror. Or, or, or maybe even I, I thought back to my days at the, uh, my days at the fire department, and I thought about, you know, some of the, there were some guys who, how do I say this? They, um, they, you know, they had a Bible in their locker. They followed all the rules. It was clear that they did everything right. It's clear that they were on the inside, and it was clear that who was not on the inside, who was on the outside. And never in any way, shape, or form. They never extended grace. They never really shared truth. All they did was condemn people for doing things that didn't line up with what they held uh, important, what they believed. And so there's just this continual condemnation. There's this continual... But ne- and they're the people that, guess what? That nobody wanted to be around, that nobody wanted to have lunch with, that there were, that they weren't, people weren't drawn to them, unlike Christ, right? People were drawn to Christ, but, but they're the ones who are often, you know, not because of their beliefs, but because of the way they project things and the way they condemn and the way, and I just, you know, there are times that I, I would just look and say, like, you, you haven't even told them how to have a life with Christ, and yet you condemn them to hell. Like, what is it that you're, what is it that you're doing? You haven't even invited them to church. You haven't told them what it means to be a believer, and yet all you do is, is condemn them. And you take this position of, 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 of really arrogance, and, and you take this position of being uh, holier than thou and better than somebody, and, and looking down on people that don't do it the way you do it. And so those are just two examples that you know I, I think of whenever I think, but it's always somebody else. And here's my point. Like, it doesn't take me long. If I, and if I ask you, like, what do you think about when you think about a Pharisee? What, is, what does that look like? What have you created in your mind? Who is it that, you, that comes to mind whenever we, when I say the word Pharisee? Rarely, if ever, would we say, well, when I got up this morning and I stepped in front of the mirror, I thought, Pharisee. That's not how we think. But it's not something that just happens. But here, here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Accidental Pharisees are made up of people just like you and me. 
And that's what we have to understand. That there's this thing in all of us, the long, especially the longer that we're in church, there's this thing in us that will, will lean towards that direction. And Pharisees, accidental Pharisees, are made up of people just like you and me. And it's really, it's, it's people, who, people who love God, people who love the Scriptures, and people who are genuinely doing their best to live out their, their faith and to live by the Word of God. And so this is important. It's like that accidental Pharisees are just that, that it's accidental. Like I said just a minute ago, I don't, I don't believe anybody in here has set out to become a Pharisee. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's accidental. It's kind of like, uh, now, if, if you visit this place, I apologize for, not really for what I'm about to say, but that you like to go to this place. Um, just my opinion. But it's kind of like the Golden Corral. Nobody sets out to go eat at the Golden Corral. And if you do, I'm sorry. There are much better places to eat than the Golden Crowd. But there's, a, like, I can remember years ago, me and, and this is years ago, I think it was the la- literally the last time me and my wife ate there. It's probably 10 years ago. We were like, we want some vegetables. And somehow we ended up at the Golden Corral. And I can remember thinking, how is it that we ended up here? Like, wh- what, is, what is going on? But honestly, that's how it is with this being an accidental Pharisee. It's like nobody sets out, but it's just somehow you wake up one day and, and, and here we are. And whether it's intentional or whether it's accidental, that's really irrelevant because the damage, it does the same damage, that it really messes up everything. And so the question is, is how does this happen? How do we end up at the Golden Corral? How do we end up at this place where we're, we would find ourselves in some way, shape, or form taking on some of the, the attributes of, a, of an accidental Pharisee? Well, it's a subtle shift in our focus, and we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about that tonight. There's a subtle shift in our focus, and, and hopefully this will be extremely helpful for you. It's going to be very practical, um, but hopefully it's going to be extremely helpful for you. But we need to unpack some things before we, before we get there. So, like I mentioned a while ago, one of the dangers is, is the longer we walk with God, the greater the danger is in becoming an accidental Pharisee. Now, what do I mean by that? What do, what do I mean by that? The longer we walk with God, now I'm not saying this is true for everything, everyone. This is true across the board, that this is automatic. Like you walk with God for any period of time, you're going to become a Pharisee. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying the longer we walk with God, there's this danger and this tendency to lean towards some of these characteristics that we see within the Pharisees. And so we've got to be very, very careful. And so just think about, like, um, you know, I, I know that in this room that there's, there's a gamut of people in this room. I mean, there, there, I would venture to say there's probably people in here that are lost. I don't know that to be true, but I'm just saying it's a room full of 100, 150 people. Okay? So then there are people in this room that maybe have been saved uh, for a year. Maybe somebody in this room is just, like, recently saved. Then there are people that, have, that are in this room that have been walking with God for maybe five years or ten years. Some, some just decades of just walking with God. And so we find ourselves in all different places. But think back to when, when you became a Christian. If your heart belongs to Christ, think back. Think back to that moment where God radically saved you. And he opened your eyes to, to your need 
for a Savior. And He began to do a work in your heart and your life. And you began to see these changes take place. And you began to implement these spiritual disciplines. And you began to grow. And you grew in just a, a hunger for the things of God. And you grew for and a hunger for being around the people of God. And God did a work in your heart. And you see all these changes taking place. And you began to be become different. Now, you begin to think different and do different and all these things. But then there's also a different kind of different. There's an insider kind of different. There's a, there's a different that you begin to, to, to think like... Um, the think, so, so what happens is the longer you hang around, uh, you begin to dress different. You begin to think differently. You begin to use different words. You have like Christians... Uh, you know, you've heard maybe you've heard it referred to as Christianese, like we got our own language and we say things that you only like. If you don't, if you're not in the church, you have no clue what in the world we're talking about. And so, like, just in in uh, in starting point, we're sorting through. Just last week, we started having a conversation about justification, and, and this week, Matt's up there teaching on sanctification. And so, like, when when's the last time you ever used the word sanctification? Outside of, outside of the church context. And so we've got our own vocabulary. And, and, so, and so what's happened is now we begin to take on the, the, the shape and the form of, as an insider within the, within the church. And so you have insiders and you have, you have outsiders. And, and whether we realize it or not, that's what begins to, to take place. And we say things like, here's, here's a cue. And look, sometimes, look, like I said, Pharisee. We're still sorting through this too. So sometimes we say things, well, we all know the story of fill in the blank. David and Bathsheba, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fill in the blank. Well, do we all know the story? Because you're talking like an insider. Right? What about the person who just walked in the door, who's never stepped foot in church before, and all of a sudden we start talking in a language that's very inclusive, and making those people feel excluded from, like an outsider from the moment that they walk through the doors. Because we all know the story of, right? And so it's this, if we're honest, it's a very subtle shift. And if we're not careful, we don't even realize that it begins to take place. But we begin to think like an insider, dress like an insider, talk like an insider. And we, don't, and we use like acronyms like NGOs. What is that? You know what I mean? And like we say, we say all these things and we don't even stop and think that like, hey, hold on just a minute. Like I need to, I need to be careful. And in the beginning, think back to, okay, think back to in the beginning. That in the beginning, we, we really remember who we were. We remember what God saved us from. And I feel like the longer, the further we get away from that, and in that moment... When, we, when we're new in our faith and we remember, like, we are way more compassionate on those that are doing dumb things. Because we know, because we, we, I mean, we still do dumb things, right? But the point is, is like, man, I just think back to the dumb things that I did before I knew Christ and before he saved me. And it's like, and, but when, it was when I was closer to that moment, it was easier for me to see in others and, and be more compassionate because I wasn't too far removed. Does that make sense? Not too far removed from that. But the further that we get away from that, 
there's this tendency or this danger that maybe this temptation that we begin to think more highly of ourselves. And we begin to think that we got a lot to do with where we are today. And we we begin to maybe maybe pride and arrogance begins to to rise up. And, and you look at people who do dumb things and you're like, well, what did you expect to happen? You do dumb things, you win dumb prizes, right? And we look at them, we're like, well, you, you, you did something dumb. Did you expect that you were going to, you know, avoid the consequences of that dumb decision? But the point is, is like, hold on. That's my story before Christ, right? And, and so, like, I was the king of dumb things. I, my marriage was in shambles before I came to Christ. You know what I mean? And I look at somebody who's doing dumb things, and, and I'm like, well, you're just being dumb. Stop being dumb. You need Jesus. But, but you see what I'm saying? It's like, what did you expect? I would never do those things. Nor, or, so we look at those outside the church, or just think about within the church. And so you, you get saved, and you, you plug and plant your life into, into church, and you um, begin to see God moving and working in your life, and you begin to press forward, and God's growing you and shaping you, and you're really serious about living out your faith. And you're passionate about living out your faith. And, and you really just want to obey Christ at any cost. And, and so, like, is that a bad thing? No, that is a wonderful thing. But if we're not careful, then what we do is we begin to look around and we begin to notice that, hey, not everybody is serious about living out their faith. Newsflash, not everybody's serious about living out their faith. Not everybody is as passionate, maybe. And, and we begin to see people lagging behind and they don't share the same passion that we share and there's this danger that we begin to become really frustrated with the people around us there, there's this danger that maybe we would begin to to look down on them and to elevate ourselves because hey we're really serious about our faith i'm serious about my faith and so like i'm i'm not you know it, i'm not doing those things i'm not in, in pride begins to step into the equation and then what happens is and i see this see this sometimes where where people will get mowed down because somebody else is passionate about something and what they're doing is putting the spirit of god works in somebody's heart and life and and they're stepping out in obedience and then they mow everybody down that doesn't isn't just as passionate about that thing that they are and so we got to be careful that we don't project that onto other people. And what we got to realize is that there's different, the, the people in this church and in the church as a whole, that people are at different stages of their growth. Like we've got some infants in the room and we've got some, we've got some toddlers in the room and we've got some adolescents in the room and we've got some adults in the room and then we've got some senior adults in the room, right? But we've got people at all the kinds of different spiritual stages and we're all growing. Here's the thing. We're all growing at different paces. You can't, don't expect somebody to grow at the same pace that you're growing. Quit. And so we've got to be careful to not get frustrated and, or to look in the mirror and get puffed up and think that, oh, well, I'm something special because look at me and that, I'm just leaving all them behind. And so we've got to be very, very careful that we don't do those things. And so it's just a couple of examples of people who end up at a place where they never intended us. Two examples, two situations from the outside and the inside about 
people that end up in a place that they never intended to go. And the danger is that we would look more like Pharisees than we do Jesus. And accidentally, maybe, but it doesn't change. And so what, what I want to do, what we want to help you sort through, not just y'all, but help us sort through, because we're working through this uh, too. I'm working together with you in this. And so like, what, what we want to do is we want to discover how to recognize and avoid these dangers, because they're real dangers. And so we want to be careful. And so here's the danger we're going to, uh, and I, we've, we've really I've set it up, I framed it in for you. Um, but we're going to deal with the danger of exclusivity tonight. Okay, so this is where we're we're headed. This is the conversation that we're going to have. And I would say um, let's let's just let's just recognize the reality that um, because of our fallen nature, we're all naturally bent towards creating and ma- maintaining exclusivity. And whether we realize it or or not. Once we've found a way in, of course, like when we're on the outside, we don't maintain uh, exclusivity. But once we're on the inside, think about, um, you know, there's a, I was trying to think of an illustration, but just for the sake of just tr- trying to help us understand. So just think about higher education. Higher education begins with a, a desire to put um, education within reach for all people. Okay, that's, that's a good thing. Would you all agree with that? And so the, the motivation, the desire is a good thing. Now, once it, a school receives a, a measure of success, or maybe it's a sorority or a fraternity, or you know what I mean? It's like, but once they, they receive, they end up at a place where there's this measure of success, what will end up happening is they'll just leave the masses behind. And so what sets out to be a, a good thing, well, now there's this demand that, well, we have to, we have, to have a higher GPA. We have to have uh, tougher entrance re- requirements. We have to, you know, we have to do these things to set us apart, to raise the banner, and the alumni love it. Like it's awesome because what it does is it increases the value of their degree. It it, it makes what they have and what they've attained. It makes it more prestigious. They become part of the elite, and so the alumni love it. The problem is, is many wouldn't make the cut with the new standards, right? They wouldn't. They wouldn't make the cut today that they made back then. And so once we're on the inside, we're all about raising the bar and raising the, raising the standards. And an outsider can see just how self-serving these behaviors are. And because they're so self-serving, outsiders don't want any part of it. I don't know if, if you think that way, but I'm just like, as soon as you start doing this self-serving stuff and trying to make something, like, I don't want any part of that. And, and I think that if we're not careful, we can... We can do that within the confines of the church and, and the model of Christianity. And so, you know, outsiders can't see just how self-serving it is, but insiders, uh, or I'm sorry, outsiders can see how self-serving it is, but insiders rarely, rarely see it. And so we, we ra- wave the banner as like we're maintaining quality and we're uh, creating a better school, that we've created our tribe and so on and so forth, but the danger is that the same mentality can creep into the spiritual realm as well. That it can creep into the church culture. Um, and here's the thing. That everything in Jesus' ministry was designed to make salvation and the things of God accessible to all people. To all people. It, nothing about Jesus or his followers declare elite 
Agreed? And his sole purpose was to make, to make the things of God, the kingdom of God, accessible. He says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. In, in John 3, 17, he says, God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Right? And so here's the key. Here's the key. This is where we're going. This is the big idea for tonight. This is, this is how we don't get caught in this. This is how we avoid the dangers. This is the answer. The key to not becoming a church that disproportionately focuses inward or outward is by keeping our focus upward. Okay? And we're going to unpack that in great detail. But the way that we don't become disproportionately so when i say church i'm talking about this church as a whole it's how we function and operate but also the church is made up of what people okay fy you're the church okay we are the church and so this is this is for us corporately but this is also for us personally and individually and so it's a it's a conversation that we need to we need to have so on your handout you'll see mark chapter 6 Verse 33. Now, before Jesus makes this statement, he's having a conversation about, he's talking to people who are worrying about all these worldly, earthly things. He's saying, like, you're, you're caught up, you're worried about, you're caught, worried about horizontal things. Don't get caught up. And he may, that's when he has this, makes this statement. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So, what Jesus is saying is, is he's saying, hey, don't, don't get so caught up in all these other things. Don't lose your focus. Your focus should be upward. It should be a vertical focus. I don't know about you, but you ever feel like, um, I mean, this is true for me, but maybe it's true for you. I have a feeling it is. You ever feel like you're being pulled in a thousand different directions simultaneously? Like you got, I mean... My wife and I, we were talking about um, the month of May. If you saw our calendar, it's bonkos, man. It is crazy. It is just nonstop, one thing after another. And so, you know, we, got, we wear all these different hats, and we got all these different things going. And so, you know, so we're Christ follower. We're husband, father, pastor. You, you know what I mean? Like a former student pastor. So you got all these students that are about to graduate. And the same thing goes on for you. Your, your wife, your mom, your teacher, your whatever, whatever job you have, your coach, your... You just start filling in the blanks of all the different things. And you're going from this thing to that thing. And you, maybe you're part of this hobby. And then you want to serve. And you want to do this. And you want to do... And you've got all these different things. And they're going on simultaneously. It's just this nonstop merry-go-round. And you're just trying to hold on for, for dear life a lot of times. And so we're constantly going from one thing to another. And what we do is we take our eyes off the most important thing. And Jesus is saying, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. This is how... All those other things be, begin to have meaning. That's how the horizontal things have meaning is when we fix our eyes vertically. And so we get ourselves off track when the focus is horizontal instead of vertical. When we, when we fix our eyes upward, when we prioritize the kingdom, then all the other things fall into place. And Jesus is saying that's the way this works. And so if you're going to make your life about all those horizontal things, then you're going to get off track. 
And you're going to feel like you got a million different things going on at the same time. And you're just going to be holding on for dear life. In Matthew 16, 23, it says, uh, he turned and said to Peter. Now, before he makes a statement, he tells, he's telling his disciples, he's like, hey, we're, I'm, we're about to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer many things. Ultimately, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And Peter's like, hold up. Like, no. He's like, no, I don't, I don't want to lose you. I love it. And so like he's thinking earthly. He's thinking, I don't want to lose Jesus. I love Jesus. I don't want you to have to suffer those things. I don't want you to die. I don't want that to happen. And he tells Jesus this, and then this is Jesus' response. <laughs> Lovely. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not, listen to what he says, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. So essentially what he's saying is you're not, you're thinking horizontally. And when you do that, when you're not setting your mind upward, when your focus is not upward, then what you end up doing is you end up hindering the work of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is hindered when our focus is horizontal instead of vertical. That's just the reality of what, what Jesus is saying. That, that the work of God is hindered when we don't have an upward focus. Okay? If you read Philippians 3.14, I put on your sheet 3.14 through 16. It's actually just verses 14 and 15. It says, Paul's making this statement. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice what he's saying. There's a goal, a prize, what? The upward call. There's an upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. Think what way? Think with an upper calling, with an with a upward focus. And if anything, uh, any of you, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. And so what he's saying is, is that the maturing believer is to be actively pursuing an upward mindset. He says, look, you got to focus on the upward call. He says, think like this. Mature Christians, maturing Christians, think this way. Hey, and if you lose sight, if you get off track, if you lose focus, no worries, because God will reveal it to you. Right? And so he knew that there's going to be this tendency for us to, to lose sight, to lose focus, to begin to think horizontally, saying, no, it's an upward call. Don't get caught up in all this down here. It's an upward call that gives meaning to all this. And if you forget that, no worries. God's going to show you. He's going to remind you. And so here's that verse being lived out tonight for all of us in the, in the room. And then in verse uh, later, in verse 19 and 20, he starts talking about, so the, the opposite of this, he's talking about people who don't get this, who aren't maturing believers, who don't understand what we're talking about. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory, they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. They're focused on horizontal things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's this picture. You see, you get a clear picture of like where we're called to focus. And where we're not called to focus. Alright, and we're going to end with this passage in Colossians 3. And this will be the bulk of you know, what we're going to talk about. So in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You can't jumble that up. You can't get any clearer than that. Paul is very specific. And, and, and here's, what, here's what I would say to that. I would say that our thoughts lead to our actions. There's a lot of conversation here about mindset. We've seen it in several of these passages that I've read. Our thoughts lead to our actions. Therefore, we must set our minds on things above. If you're in a discipleship group, you've probably been reading through Ephesians, or you should be reading through Ephesians here uh, this past month. And uh, we just came just recently to where he's saying like, hey, when he starts talking about thoughts and how important thoughts are, like our thoughts lead to our actions. And so I just, you know, this past week, I was just thinking about, like, I, I started to, to work backwards. So we, we tend to focus on our actions. You know, we want to change our actions, so we focus on our actions. But our actions are influenced by our thoughts, okay? Well, what are our thoughts influenced by? And so we got to, if we want to figure out how to get our actions right, then we got to back up, and then we got to back up some more. And we've got to be influenced by heavenly things. We've got to set our mind on things above and not things below. And that's, that's ultimately going to lead to where we, want to, where we ultimately want to be. Well, we just want to focus on the end result. And what happens is we never get anywhere. Or we get there for a little while, but we don't ever get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue, issue starts way back here. And so we've got to work on what, what is influencing our, our thoughts. And it's got to be a continual thing. That's why he says, hey, that the, the maturing believer is actively pursuing this type of mindset that is continual, it is intentional. And in the moment that we let our guard down, then we're going to begin to think horizontally. That's going to just naturally going to happen. And these, it's the only way that we know what to do is by setting our minds and allowing them to be shaped by Christ in His Word. That's how we know what to do. That's how we keep an upward mindset. So let's, let's talk about So if we talk about like the, the reality of the inward focus, the outward focus, and the upward focus, well, let's just unpack those three things, and then we'll be done. So inward focus, the inward focus. This is, um, this is what most churches naturally do. Most churches naturally focus inwardly because we're just really good at that. Let's just be honest. Like, we're really good at focusing inwardly. Can we all agree with that? Like, we're really good at that. And here's the thing. I want to pose, as we, before we get to the upward focus, I want to just pose the question. Is it necessarily a bad thing to, to focus inwardly and to want to see um, disciples grow and flourish in their faith. Is that a bad thing? No, that's absolutely a wonderful thing. Should we be concerned with that within the, the body of Christ? Yes, we should. Well, how can this become a problem? Well, let's talk about it. Because the truth is, is we don't have to work real hard to, to focus on ourselves. That's why um, this past Sunday when we're studying through Ephesians and we get to how husbands are called to love their wives, he says to love our wives as we love who? Ourselves, because we are really good at loving ourselves. I, I'm really good at looking out for, for number one. You know, if you put two plates of food in front of me, I'm going for the one that has the most food. 
I'm not saving it for you. I'm just being honest. <laughs> right? And so we, we're really good at looking out for ourselves. We're really good at arranging and rearranging our schedules around things that we want to do. We're really good at surrounding ourselves with people that we want to be around. We're really, we're really good at looking out for number one. Agreed? Every, everybody in here, like it, it comes natural to us. It's, it's part of our sin nature. Like it just, we're just selfish and that's natural for us. But when it comes to the when it comes to the church, the question is not, what do I want the church to be? What do I want it to be? Because then what happens is I make the church about me. And when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it tells me that the church should be first about him. And then he says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the church should be about him and about others. And that we should put ourselves last in that equation. It's not about me. And it's not about my preferences. But what happens in so many churches is it becomes this inward focus. And it's all about our preference about what we want the church to be. What we like. The songs we like to sing. The, the way we like to do things. The, the programs we like to, to have. And what happens is, is we don't take into account what God wants or what's good for other people. We're just concerned primarily about ourselves. And it's a disaster. So we don't think about outsiders. All we do, and honestly, we don't think about other insiders either. We're just thinking about us. And we're definitely not thinking about what does God want. Okay, and so that begins to become a very dangerous, a dangerous place. And so it's not about how I think it should be. It's not about how it's always been done it's not about what you did in church when you were a kid and so we got to do the same thing and go to the same places and do it the same way and like it's not about us but so oftentimes we make it we make it about us well here's the here's the the danger inward focus uh inward focused churches create competition for control because every church is made up of people with differing views and opinions and so it's, it's all about, in so many churches, it becomes all about, maybe you've been, uh, this really isn't the culture around here. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist in some way, shape, or form. But maybe you've been a part of a church where everybody is lobbying for, for power and control because they want it to be the way they want it to be. And if I'm in a position of power and control, then I can make it what I think it should be. And so I'm going to give the most money. I'm going to become, you know, the head of the deacons and I'm going to do this and I want to and so just lobbying for these positions and places so that we can make the church about what what we want but here here is the thing the goal of this type of church of an inward focused church is to make insiders happy that's the that's the goal of the insider focused church is to make inward um, insiders happy and at the exclusion of everybody else See, insider or inward-focused churches aren't asking, hey, what can we do to reach the lost? No, it's more like a country club mentality. Like, I want it to be really nice and comfortable for me whenever I show up the way in which I think it should be. That's why, um, maybe you remember, my, Tony's given these statistics in the past, but it's staggering. In the state of Mississippi, almost 85% 
of churches are in a state of plateau or decline. Stop and think about that. Almost 85% of churches are in a state of either plateauing or decline. That is, that is shocking. There's, on average, almost 12 churches a week that shut the doors. Think about that. You know why that is? All inward focus. All inward focus. I mean, hey, we, we just, just this year, I mean, the Joseph home has a property because a church closed the door. Like, they, they're, they're done. We're, we're closing up shop. Two, two churches this year, the Joseph home and then Harbor City. Harbor City, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but Harbor City is, a, is at a new location. That's the church that we planted here um, several years ago. But there's a church that closed the door, a wonderful, beautiful, absolutely amazing property that they're like, hey, we're just going to give it to you. They just gave us two properties because churches are closing and shutting the doors. Well, why is that? Why are churches closing the door? Why, why is that the case? Well, let me tell you what it's not. The fact that church attendance in America is on the decline is not a reflection of God. It's a reflection on the people within the church. It is not a reflection on God. It's a reflection. And so what happened is, is we, people become so inward focused, just protecting what's mine and the way that I like things to be and my preferences and my this and my that. And then what happens is, is like not reaching anybody. Nobody's reaching anybody. Nobody's reaching the loss. Nobody's having a kingdom impact. People aren't coming to faith. And so like what happens is people just die off and die. And when everybody dies off, there's nobody left. And the doors close, and that's what we're left with. And so that's the danger of an inwardly focused church. Now, some churches, and we need to have this conversation. So if we're having this conversation about, um, if we're having a conversation about the danger of exclusivity, which really is um, the topic for the accidental Pharisee tonight. Now, what we don't want to do is we don't want to lean too heavily in the other direction. And so what we don't want to do is become completely and totally outwardly focused. We don't, want to, we don't want to do that, that there's dangers there too. It sounds really good that there's good intentions in these kinds of churches and there's good intentions. When, but the idea that we would lean towards, um, so, no, the idea that we would lean towards making outsiders feel welcome is a good thing. That is, that is a wonderful thing. But it's dangerous when we, when we begin to cater the church of Christ to what lost people want. Okay? That's a, that's a very different thing. And that's a danger. And so what happens is, is, is there's a lot of churches that maybe they're like, okay, well, we don't want to be inwardly focused. And what they do is they just go to this far extreme. And so they make the church, like God's bride, they make it about what's going to make lost people happy. And we got to be careful that we don't do that either. We can't tailor everything to make sure that the outsider is going to feel comfortable when they walk in. Now, we want the outsider to feel comfortable. There's things that we can do to make sure that they feel included and feel welcome and feel uh, they come in and there's the table is set for them to come and know and experience the living God. Like, that's what we want. But we don't tailor everything that we do for somebody who doesn't know Christ. So the outward-focused churches create this compulsion for compromise because ultimately what that leads to is compromise 
And, and so, and then you're compromising to who? Because you live in a community, you exist in a community with people who have differing views and opinions. Okay, so when we're talking about an inward-focused church, we're full of people with different views and opinions. You realize that? We all have different views and opinions in here. Now, the, the longer we walk, like we should be lining up with those things, but the point is, is we see things differently. Well, the community in which we exist sees things differently. They have their idea of what the church should be. They, what, should we base what we do in here should we, should we be, be, be an upward focus? Should we base what we do in here on the Word of God? Or should we base what we do in here on what people who don't know Christ want? And so we've got to be careful. Because there's a cost. There's a cost at doing things that way. And really the compromise is the compromise of truth. That the truth gets compromised. And what it leads to is shallow preaching in an effort not to offend anybody. And so if the goal is to make them feel welcome, well, people don't want to be offended. So what we should do is we should never say anything that's offensive. And so what that leads to is, is shallow preaching in order to make people feel good whenever they walk through the doors. Well, let me just tell you what that produces. Lame preaching inevitably produces lame sheep. And so when there's a lack of discipleship, when there's a lack of commitment to preaching and teaching and holding fast to the Word of God and holding the Scriptures to an elevated place, then what happens is, is that the people of God begin to suffer. That there's no longer any growth. There's no longer any depth. We may have a church full of a lot of people, but there's no depth spiritually. And so there's a lot of churches, that this type of church that focuses outwardly in an unhealthy way, they're it, they're really big churches, really big churches, but there's no spiritual depth whatsoever. So when it comes to the outward-focused church, the goal there is to make seekers happy. So what's the answer? How do we, like, what do we do? Is it for insiders? Is it for outsiders? I mean, it's for both, right? But how do we determine what we, how do we determine what we do? Like, how do we determine a balance? What do we, well, he, here's the thing. Inward, fo focusing inwardly, eh, wrong. Focusing outwardly, eh, wrong. That's not the answer. And a lot of times we think, okay, well, we need to focus inwardly on the right things, and we need to focus outwardly on the right things. But the answer is to focus upwardly. That's the answer. Every church should aspire to be a church that focuses upward. It's not about what insiders want. It's not about what outsiders want. It's about what God wants for His church, what He intended for His bride to be. He's told us what that is. And so when we make decisions, when we do things, we want to we want to fix our eyes on him and not think, okay, well, how is this going to, how is this going to make the insiders feel? How is this going to make the outsiders feel? No, what does God want? He's good. He knows what's going to lead to the growth of the people in his, in his church, and he knows what's going to draw the lost to his son. Like he knows. And so if we just stick to that, then we'll be doing just, we'll be doing just fine. What does he want? Right? 
And so here we, we focused, if you think about inward and outward. So inward, it's, it's all about uh, focusing what the people within the church want. We all have different views and opinions. Outward is, an, is what the people in the community in which we exist in, what, what is it that they want? But they all have different views and opinions. Well, the upward-focused church creates culture of consistency because it's not about people's views and opinions. It's about God's views and opinions, and they don't change. They don't change. They never change. He never changes. And here's the thing. This is what I was thinking about the last few days. I've been wrestling with this. You can ask my wife. For really, for a couple weeks now, two, three weeks, I've been like, okay, what is, like, where are we going with this, God? Like, I'm, not, I'm just trying to sort through, like, what is it that you want to communicate? And um, one of the things I thought about the last couple of days is that, um, that there's always going to be this tension. There's always going to be this tension that, you know, the, the goal to fill our church with deeply, familiar, uh, deeply committed followers, to this tension that we want the people of God to, to grow and to flourish and develop in their faith as they come in and week in and week out and they, they grow in their faith here. But we also want those on the outside to become part of the family of God. We want to reach those that are apart from, from Christ. We want to create a space where, where people who don't know Christ, who are far from God, will walk through the doors and feel comfortable here and feel invited in this place and feel welcome in this place and not sit down and feel like people are looking. Like, and so there's this tension. It's like, okay, well, we, do, what do we do? Do we do this because this really is for... Because we need to do things for insiders. But we also need to do things for outsiders. And so there's always going to be this, this tension. And the only way that we're going to know how to navigate this in a way in which honors God is to keep our focus upward. What is it that God wants? And the upward focus, the goal is to make Jesus happy. It's not to make insiders happy. It's not to make outsiders happy. Now, hey, insiders will grow and flourish. Outsiders will come in and become part of the fold of God. Praise the Lord. But the goal is not to make anyone happy other than Christ. That's the, that's the focus. That's the ultimate goal. And it can be nothing less than full obedience to everything that Jesus has taught us in Scripture. And I would say that this church is, is really good at that. I will say, like, one of the things that I love about this church, even, and it's, it's interesting to me how, um, it, like, it trickles down into all the other ministries, too. Like, it's not just, you know, in the adult ministry. I, I, you know, there were so many times in student ministry, like, I was so grateful. My heart was just so encouraged by the, the kids that would show up here. And, man, they're, not, they're outcasts everywhere they go. And, man, like, they would be welcomed in. And, and students would love and care for them. And the same thing's true in this room right here. Like people, everywhere else that they go, not, they don't feel welcome. They don't feel included. They don't feel, you know, everybody's looking at them and looking down their nose at them. Like we really do a good job of, of being a church that, um, that really seeks to and aspires to keep our focus upward. But we're not perfect. 
And we got to be careful not to let our guard down because it's so easy to begin to, to think horizontally, to look horizontally, to focus horizontally, and to take our eyes off, uh, off the prize and the upward call that God has called us to. So here's just a couple of examples, um, just for conversations I've heard people say. If this is you, this is, it's accidental. Nobody's pointing fingers, remember? And I told you, it's Pharisee. So uh, just, just an illustration that will help frame things in. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have two services. We haven't always had two services. There's some people that still think, like, okay, when are we going back to one service? Let me just let you know. The answer to that is never. Okay? Well, why do we, why do we not want two services? Well, I can tell you why we don't want two services. I don't want two services. Man, I love when we're in one service. I find myself bouncing between first service and second service um, because, like, so for so long when I was in student ministry, I would, I had to go to ser- second service just because of you know the nature of the ministry, and so like people in first service, I felt like I never saw them, like, and, and it is, it's hard. Like you're in a church with people that you love and you care about, but you know when there's two services, then it just feels like there's some disconnect in some ways, and it makes it difficult. Does everybody agree with that? It, 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 would we all say that, man, it would be awesome if we only had one service? Yes, because you're on the inside. Because you're on the inside, right? It's true. There's no room for anybody on the outside to come in if we got one service. That's just the honest truth. But we don't want two services. When are we going back to one service? Well, if we're not careful, what we do is we bow to the desires and the wants of the insiders, and then we exclude all the outsiders. There's no room for anybody to come. No room. Well, now there is. And so that's just a small illustration. And we, if we're not careful, we begin to just think different. There's a subtle shift because it's what we want. It's our preference. And it's actually a good thing. But what we're going to do is we're going to seek and aspire to have an upward focus. Do I like having two services? No, I would much rather have one. But I know that there's room for people to come into the fold because we have two services. And that is much more important than anything, any preference that I have. Right? And so, uh, same with uh, community groups. You know, it's important for us to... um, important for us to have community groups you know it's important for us to have community groups in between services because if we're going to be in two services this is a space where we can come and we can have community and so just because you're in a in a room like this doesn't mean that you have community and then when community groups get too big the answer is not to i love you find a bigger room no, because you, you start getting big and then you lose community. God's called us to deep level community. And so if we're going to do that, then that means, you know what? Sometimes we're going to have to take class as busting as it seems and not find a bigger room. But we're going to need to launch a new class so that we make room for people to come into the fold. Right? We love our thing and we don't want to let go of our thing. We hold on to that because that's what we want instead of looking upward and asking, what does God want? And so we hoard our resources. We hoard uh, teachers and leaders in one space 
at the expense of community for other people. So we got to be very, very careful because there's this subtle shift and this temptation and this tendency to lean. Last thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll be done. I, I often think about, um, I hear this a lot, and honestly, I say this way more in my heart. I never say it out loud because I can remember the first time I heard it, and I was furious. It was in a business meeting, and I can't remember the, I can't remember why it was said, but I remember somebody said, well, I just wish Jesus would come back right now. And I can remember thinking, which we, uh, look, the longer I live in this broken world, the more my heart resonates with that. But that's, a, that's an inward focus. That's an inward focus. Because I can remember being furious because I started thinking about all the people who don't know Christ. At that time, I started thinking about all my family members. I started thinking about my dad and my sister and my mom. I started thinking about the people who don't know Christ. And I thought, that is the most self-centered, selfish thing that you could ever say. You're saying that because you're on the inside. You're saying it because you're, it's an inward focus. And what we're called is to have an upward focus. And I, I get it. Man, I, I want Jesus to come back too. But he says that he's patient for that very reason. Because there are folks that don't know him yet. And so, yes, I want Christ to come back. But let's be about his work until that day comes. And let's not, let's not beg for him to come back. Let's, let's beg for him to, u- to use us in this world, in the places in which he's, he's planted us, in the horizontal things that we get so caught up in that, that we would have an upward focus and seek to make much of him in those places, right? So the greatest danger for any church and for us personally as well, the greatest danger is losing an upward focus. And so we've continually got to go back to the word of God. We've got to stop asking what what do, what do I want? What, what do others want? What, do, what, do others, what does God want and what do others need? That's, that's the question. And the way in which we stay on track, the way in which we stay focused, and as, you, as you're sorting through like personal decisions that you make and things that you're going to do and how you're going to handle situations, it's not, don't ask the question. This is, this is important. Don't ask the question, what do I want? What do I think I should do? What, what do they want? What do they want me to do? The question is, is what does God want? What do they need? What is God calling me to do? It's an upward focus and not an inward or outward. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for, um, thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge before us. And um, Lord, if we're honest, it really is.